Hello and welcome to this week's Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's weekly current affairs programme with me, Emma Webb. And this week I am joined by Peter Whittle, the director and founder of the New Culture Forum. So there's been a lot in the news this week, but before we begin, Peter, would you like to tell viewers a bit about the event that's coming up? Yeah, thanks, Emma. We, we've got an event coming up um, on the 3rd of October in Birmingham. It's during the Conservative Party conference, um, but it's on the fringe of the Conservative Party conference. And uh, we have speaker in Nick Timothy, who's been on the channel. He's a, a columnist with the Daily Telegraph, but obviously quite famously he was Theresa May's chief of staff. Um, and it should be a, a good event. It's the first of our, what we might call local events that we're going to be mm -hmm. doing. And so if uh, people watching are in the area and they watch NCF and they subscribe to the channel and they want to come along, then <clears throat> please do uh, just register your interest via um, its contact at newcultureforum.org.uk. Um, if you, because it has to be by RSVP, because um, we've got limited space. But it's the Monday, the 3rd of October. And uh, basically, uh, if you, we'll put that in the link under this video. Um, but if you get in touch, say, I'd like to come, then we'll make sure we can make space for you. So, but thought it'd be worth saying, because it's only, uh, ooh, what is it, a week or so mm -hmm. away. So, um, shall we? begin then um, by talking about what's been going yeah. on in Leicester mm. with this um, what looks like basically sectarian warfare on British streets mm. between mm. Um, Hindus and Muslims. Well it is isn't it sectarian warfare. Um, it seems to have come about from uh, originally from a cricket match and sort of escalated and there is now a concern being um, voiced in the newspapers that this is actually going to uh, spread to other mm -hmm. cities and in fact indeed in Birmingham it already has and I think really that what is interesting about this Riyama, I don't know what your view is is, is that the general emphasis will eventually I feel become about social media Mm -hmm. and the effects of social media. In other words, anything to distract from what I see as being the main issue, which is imported problems. Why, in God's name, why should we be having to deal with sectarian issues from another mm -hmm. part of the world? This is appalling. And the fact is that nobody in mainstream politics, apart from people like Claudia Webb on the Labour side, who's actually chosen to start talking about the far right or something, um, or in this occasion, totally ignoring what's going on. Um, but this happened throughout, started to happen throughout the time when the, uh, of the Queen's funeral and just before, and uh, it shows a parallel society. Yeah, it's amazing how, like you were saying with Claudia Webb, how afactual a lot of the commentary has been. Yeah. And so uh, Douglas Murray and Calvin Robinson both made the point that basically that if you import the world, you import the world's problems. Mm. And like, I agree with you completely. I think the d clear direction that this is going to go in is this is going to be fuel for the fire for the online harms bill, this yes. online safety bill, which will basically get online 
you know, the big tech companies, and we'll talk more about that later in relation to what's been going on with PayPal, um, but that these big tech companies will be encouraged to censor um, things online, particularly misinformation. And that's interesting because that's something that um, anybody who's interested can look at um, Hardeep Singh's articles in The Spectator and in Spiked. Hardeep Singh, yeah. Um, and he's, he's pointed out how um, misinformation, fake news has been part of this. For example, um, the Muslim community believing that a, a Muslim girl had been kidnapped by a, um, a Hindu man. Right. Um, but it's... It, Going back to um, this issue of sort of sectarianism, um, Charlotte Littlewood from the Henry Jackson Society, she gave a really interesting analysis of this situation on GB News, which is totally unlike anything anybody else has been saying, and is actually sticking to the facts as she can see them on the ground, because a lot of people have been saying this is to do with, you know, in the broadest sense, what's going on abroad is being played out on the streets of, of Leicester, Birmingham. We've seen this before when anything goes wrong in Kashmir, there's always tensions in the community here. Um, and she's pointed out that her, through her own research, which is ongoing right now, she's looking at what people are talking about on social media and in their, the various chats that are going on within the community, that it seems to be a sort of um, a territory dispute which I think is very interesting, a territorial dispute in a, in a majority Muslim area um, where the Hindus have um, were uh, apparently marching sort of in protest against the attacks that they had experienced through putting up their own religious symbols. Um, and that this that is what has led to the conflict in this specific circumstance that has been triggered by this, um, this cricket match. And so it's, it's just, it's very interesting that, you know, to stick to the facts on this, that this really, this isn't about what people are saying online, although it may be a factor in it. This is about what happens when you have a multicultural society that it, where co serious conflicts, and I'm interested to know what you think about this. Mm. When these serious conflicts are triggered, it reminds me of Northern Ireland. And yeah. I see this playing out very much as Northern Ireland has, where you have these communities that um, are in this sort of territorial dispute and Hindus being made to leave the area or feeling pushed out of the area and then returning and feeling they can't put their symbols up because they may be attacked and things like that. But we shouldn't even have areas. Mm -hmm. You know, people should not be subjected to areas. Talk of a territorial this dispute is extraordinary. <laughs> I, I, exactly. And in fact, online, there have been, I've seen a few of the, the more radical uh, people behind this, or at least, you know, uh, talking about it. There was one Muslim guy, and he was talking about, you know, bring your boys. He was yeah, to the it's the Hindus. same as what, what happened in Batley, yes. where they invited people to come from outside of the area, mm. um, more radical Islamists possibly, mm. inviting them in to, to get them to go out on the streets. And some of these scenes where people walking around in balaclavas, yeah. wielding weapons, and you see this little thin line of police officers, a lot of them female, <laughs> trying to keep these two communities apart when they're brandishing knives and all they've got is batons. But you see, that's all they can do in a way. I mean, the, the, the fact is, is that the political class, the governments of wh whichever stripe, uh, are not willing to take this on. Um, fact is, you say it's multiculturalism. Yes, it is. It's multiculturalism is one, and then the other side is sheer numbers. If you import, if you 
allowing to the country the kind of numbers that we have mm -hmm. over the past 10 years this is kind of inevitable. Well, it's, all, right? it's, a, it's a fundamental failure of integration as well. If you have areas that are majority Muslim and then an area next to it that is majority Hindu that can't mix with each other. And I think it's a point that has been sort of made to me privately that you get this, we talk often you see in the news about gang warfare and things, but there are cultural elements in a lot of these conflicts that are playing out on the streets of London all across the UK um, because people are bringing with them to the UK political and personal and family conflicts from back home. Also the other thing as well is that people who come in such numbers there is no need to integrate first of all because you've got ready-made communities there speaking the same language there's, there's absolutely you know even a few years ago there was a kind of initiative to get people to at least speak English that uh, appears to have gone uh, even Labour took that on at one point I'm talking like 10 years ago now that seems to have gone um, but essentially you've got huge numbers do not need to integrate plus you have got a cultural establishment mm -hmm. that doesn't really think you should integrate. I mean, you know, that, that mm -hmm. for years, you know, they've been saying, well, we, we are terrible, we are awful, you know, the, all the things we've done in the world are wrong. Um, we quite, you know, don't be like us, we're terrible. Mm -hmm. That's but been the message. It has no, no sense of, in addition to flagellating what exists, it also has this lack of a sense of self. So even the British values that that are being promoted have been that have been defined are about as watery and as weak as they can be and it's because they are trying to accommodate mm. so much within those values that they, they there's no sense of you know any any positive understanding of our national identity that people might and it's funny that as well so I was going to say that it, people might want to integrate into but also that this was going on whilst we were seeing these extraordinary scenes in London mm. in relation to the Queen lying in state and and the sort of pageantry around the funeral. And for many people, this was binding, you know, this feeling of how absolutely extraordinary this, you know, the constitutional monarchy is. And, you know, that that is a real vision of what, in a more fundamental sense, we are as an identity as a nation in terms of the symbols and so on yes. but at the same time there's something quite symbolic about the fact that in Leicester that this warfare was basically well, yes. playing out I mean the thing is it's one of those things that people don't really like to say and indeed I don't actually but the fact is when you look at those groups of mostly young men fighting and the civil disruption in these places the Queen doesn't mean anything to them I mean mm -hmm. it, she, she just doesn't um, and you then have to say, well, actually, how far has this whole experiment been a success? I think it's been on the whole disastrous. Uh, I don't mind admitting. Um, and, but the fact is, is that we can sit here and viewers often say this. They say, well, you know, you sit there and talk. And in fact, we agree with every word, but you know, what are we going to do? It, the way things are at the moment, it is actually up to a government do something mm -hmm. so they could start maybe by even commenting on this tell me if I'm wrong Emma but I don't think I've heard a single government minister say anything about this particular trouble that we're having at the moment 
I haven't, but it might just be that I've missed it, which is possible. No, no, I don't think there has been. And this is extraordinary. And it's almost like we are now accepting that this is going to be the case. And I think as uh, Douglas, actually, Douglas Murray has said in his piece, you know, this is not the first time we had it in Oldham. We have we had it, for example, when the MP was murdered, if you mm -hmm. remember, not that long ago. And at that particular point, again, the argument came about social media and mm -hmm. things, you know, and what should we do? Um, and at the same time, it will, you know, you have to realise that this is going to happen more and more. Mm -hmm. And if you say that, people say, well, oh, you're just stoking things up. Uh, why? No, no, no. It's just you've got to face reality. What did you think of the of the sort of um, the left wing commentariat saying things like this is our or not just in this instance, but generally in instances like this saying, well, this is our fault because of what we did in India and, and Pakistan and Kashmir and that we are responsible for carving up these countries. And this is a post-colonial problem that we are to blame for. And it's that oh, so this they're is admitting it's a problem. So this that, is interesting. Well, they're actually admitting on the one hand, on the one hand, this is meant to be wonderful and, and, and hugely uh, strengthening this diversity. On the other hand, they're seeing that obviously it is something bad that's happening. This isn't, it may actually, it may be Douglas who made this point, I can't remember, but um, the that actually that's a good point. That narr narrative implies that in a way, this is our punishment for colonialism. So these communities and their conflicts and their presence here, they regard as a kind of punishment for... just such rubbish. I nearly said a bad word though. <laughs> this is such rubbish and I mean, we have a huge Somalian population. There are Somalian gangs, for example, in London. Uh, there have been in the past. Uh, so far as I know, uh, that was never part of the uh, British Empire. Um, it, it is, it is uh, obviously people who read The Guardian and the left um, are obviously going to take that view. And mm -hmm. it's always going to be our fault somewhere or other. But, but what I find interesting is that they obviously think that this, this is bad, what's happening. Um, it's just that they choose to sort of say that somehow or other, um, you know, it is our fault. It's nothing of the sort. I feel, where I feel particularly strongly is that these disputes and cultural differences are being visited on the people of this country and they had no say whatsoever in what has essentially brought it about. Mm -hmm. They're having to deal with it. Mm -hmm. They're having to deal with it. Do you, do you, it's the cultural side of globalisation, if you like. I am not convinced that you were saying a government has to step in and do something about this. I am. I know this sounds bleak and this sounds sort of Peter Hitchens level of, of black pilled, as they say. Um, but I am not convinced that you can do anything about this now. And that this is... I, and I'm interested to know what you think, whether this is going to be like a kind of Northern Ireland situation where the territory is disputed in some way, God knows how you, how you fix that, um, but that it's something that could play out for 100, 200 years, these communities in conflict like this, because, I mean, it's been over 100 years of conflict in, in Northern Ireland, and that is still something that flares up now and then. So it seems to me that that is the only route that this can take. And in those, other than to make efforts to integrate people from these particular areas, 
I, the, it's the, it's the, like you were saying, you know, the den density, the idea that you would have territorial disputes because you have majority areas that are a particular culture that are in conflict with the majority neighbours in, in the, the neighbouring area and that those have religious or cultural conflicts from back home that uh, that that has be, have basically been imported that there isn't really very much that you can do about that other than well you can stop importing it mm -hmm. i mean the, i was there's only so far i think you can go with the northern irish um comparison because it was in an in a kind of awful way it's organically kind of part of our history but uh i think the fact is that this will only grow whilst you have 300,000 people illegally coming to Britain, let alone illegally. The other dimension to it as well is that you are, it basically makes us vulnerable and beholden to politics that are playing out around the world. So whatever happens in any of these countries, and you can see how that could easily be weaponized by a foreign government if they were not an ally, if they are able to basically trigger and fuel conflicts within the UK. Well, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? And a bit humiliating that I think it was the Indian government mm -hmm. uh, called for us to actually calm it down. I mean, what, what the hell's going on? I, I would and they say, are an ally. <laughs> but, but what I think is actually far more um, personal is that, for example, what about our policy in relation to Israel? I'm, I'm a huge supporter of Israel. And you can see that in the future, if something very, you know, particularly bad blew up uh, in, in terms of Israel, a government here would be thinking, how is this going to play with our Muslim population? Mm -hmm. I think probably that's already a consideration. Of course it is. But I mean, at the same time, it, supposing it came to the push came to shove and we had to show some kind of support, there would be this kind of, you know, calculation mm -hmm. going on. So I, I mentioned... Um, PayPal in the context of big tech, because this is probably going to go yeah. down, like I say, the, the, the route of fueling the online safety bill, because politicians will yeah. argue that it's bad words online that have caused this to happen rather than actually addressing Rubbish. the real complicated on the ground problems. And actually, as Charlotte Littlewood has done, looked at the facts. They're, um, they're really not that complicated. This is the point. I mean, I'm not being pedantic more here. More complicated than just simply saying everything is to do with what's going on online. Oh, yeah. That, that's yeah. just pure um, distraction. That, that's pure kind of uh, displacement activity. Um, but so moving, moving on to the subject of big tech. This week, PayPal have closed down, firstly closed down Toby Young's personal account, swiftly followed by the account of the Daily Skeptic, which Toby runs, and also the Free Speech Union, yeah. also run by Toby. Yeah. Um, and that was followed by Us For Them, which is a parent group that campaigned against uh, schools being closed during the pandemic. Is that and in America? Is that it, here in the UK. Okay. And a whole host of other yeah. organisations like um, the Law or Fiction lawyers who were campaigning against vaccine mandates, um, Gays Against Groomers, which is a gay online campaign against paedophilia mm. um, so a whole host of groups have had PayPal have basically removed their accounts um, and this obviously will play into the everything around the online safety bill but what's really worrying about this is that it's basically financial cancellation is the new 
is the new weapon mm. um, against dissenters. The, this ability for big, because especially if we're going to go into, you know, we're hurtling towards this cashless society, that we will now be so beholden to these tech giants that they'll have such an enormous amount of power yeah. to wield against anybody who dissents from the orthodoxies that they, as the tech giants in Silicon Valley, permit. Yes, I mean, do you use PayPal for anything? Do you use it yourself? Or? I have a PayPal account, but I haven't got a clue how to use it. Well, so we do. No. I mean, people are viewers, you know, people who support the NCF. I'd be they, very happy for PayPal to get rid of my account for me. That would be grand. Right. <laughs> um, they make donations through PayPal. Um, and in fact, uh, some people online advise that if you have a balance in PayPal, just mm -hmm. to immediately kind of transfer it into another account because yeah. uh, essentially uh, you lose it when this happens. Um, or they can, they can they hold on to it. So yeah. they one of the um, so in, in other occasions where this has happened, basically they are able to seize that money as damages through you having used their platform in violation of their policies. Yeah. So they basically steal that money from yeah. you. But it's only happening one way, isn't it? It's happening one way. It's happening to these kind of groups who they probably perceive to be conservative in some way mm -hmm. or the wrong, wrong side of the in, argument. I think in the US, I think it, and I, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong on this, but I think that PayPal have closed down accounts of left-wing groups in America who have criticized Biden's policy on Ukraine. So it's people on both sides of the political spectrum, but who are dissenting from some kind of orthodoxy. We, when we had the Smith lecture here, Nigel Farage gave the first one. This is in 2018. And it was all about shadow banning, and it was all about the um, effects of censorship in social media uh, as it was then. As you say, this is quite mm -hmm. new. This is financial. Mm -hmm. um, this is a way of basically cutting off people's uh, life supply, yeah. their lifeline. Well, it stopped with, with the Daily Skeptic. I think it was a quarter of their revenue. It yeah. halted. And a third of people who pay to the FSU through mm -hmm. PayPal. Mm -hmm. um, so a, th a third of the members couldn't make those payments because they were yeah. using PayPal as a result. So even though the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union will survive and they'll be fine even though they've taken a hit. It's besides the point because it suggests that basically what we're doing and in return for having the convenience of a cashless society. I, just before coming here, I thought how ironic it was that we we're about to talk about this and I actually paid for a coffee um, where there was a big sign up that said, we have gone cashless. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so for the sake of convenience, we've all made this sort of deal with the devil um, but we're just handing over all of this power to these mm. big tech companies. And once everything goes online, and there's been talk this week also about in, in America and in India um, and the EU as well, asking Amazon to basically create a digital currency. So in all of these countries, there's this move towards um, digitalizing everything financial, mm. everything going online, everything going cashless. Um, having trial runs in the use of biometric data so your smile or your fingerprint can be used to pay and things like that that i don't know whether people realize the degree to which they are just blindly handing away their liberties because if you have physical cash that you know that that's something that 
you that is a kind of safeguard on your freedom to make transactions that you can't really be fully censored with the threat of financial ruin mm. whereas if everything is going through paypal or through these big tech giants and that 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 is basically you're dependent on that for your ability to to transact then they have the final say really over what you are and are not allowed to say or think or express. But it, it, interestingly, you say pe you, people have willingly, you know, given this up. They willingly gave up their privacy, for example. Mm -hmm. you know? If you go right back to the early days, you know, it was Facebook and things, right up to now, it's extraordinary. People, people will do anything for convenience. Anything for convenience. But also, I think younger people, older people, obviously, including myself, uh, you know, I think it's appalling the idea you won't have cash. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I think younger people see it as they have brought into the illusion of freedom. They think this is that there are all these choices lined up about how you can pay or not is about freedom, as you say, and convenience. And I think they're very mistaken. I mean, I think the point with the PayPal situation is what indeed can a government do about it? I mm -hmm. mean, we're talking about the online uh, safety bill, which I think was originally called the online harm bill, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, but there are certain ways that they could actually do that. I mean, for example, I think the point was made by Fraser Nelson yeah. in the Telegraph today. I think it's a very good point. Uh, he said, look, look you know, <clears throat> the government can't completely regulate, for example, the housing or the or renting market, but it can certainly say it is illegal to discriminate uh, against people on the basis of uh, race, religion, or, or creed, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's the law of the country quite rightly. Um, so why can't we do yeah. it in these the cases? The bill they should be passing is but is to prevent these companies from discriminating exactly. against people. Exactly. But I do, I do think that there is a problem with this idea of, um, this was in Fraser Nelson's article, this idea that we need to protect diversity of opinion or protect diversity of thought. Now, I, I agree with that in terms of the ends of protecting those things, but I feel like it. But like by 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 phrasing it and framing it as another diversity, I think that 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 in a way is its own Faustian pact because this is not about having more diversity of thought or more diversity of opinion this should be separate from that people have a right to those things it's not one thing among other mm, categories mm, that people should mm, be um not discriminated against for if, the, if this makes sense absolutely and so yeah. i think it worries me that mm. we're now in this situation we saw this actually with the maya forstater case um that she was found in a court that she her her right her gender critical rights were um, protected under the Equality Act, that they were protected philosophical beliefs. But that's also a problem for me because that implies that those beliefs that are based on facts are themselves protected philosophical beliefs. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. in order to defend ourselves, we're now in this position where we're having to use the language that is already rigged against us. And I think I find that very worrying. No, I, I think superbly put, Emma, there, I think I totally agree with it also it's sort of too fundamental just to be something yeah, along with it, these other things very fundamental something we never even thought perhaps you could and this is a bit of a council of despair maybe but you have to sort of almost say well actually that is the situation that we're having to deal with so that we've got to take 
that we've got to use that mm -hmm. we've got to use their language if you liked for that but I totally understand but the fact is this thing that's going through the online safety bill where this could actually at least be mm -hmm. changed or either get rid of that bill or at least hugely modify it um, I believe that Liz Truss the Prime Minister has said nothing about this mm -hmm. she has said nothing about any of this I think uh, Kemi and was it Rishi, perhaps Penny yeah. Morton as well, they yeah. made some statements about it. But Liz Truss puts herself forward as being a sort of free speech warrior. But if she really wants to do something that matters, nipping this online safety bill in the bud, particularly because going back to what we were saying about the whole issue of misinformation and fake news, if we remember during the pandemic, talk radio, for example, had their live stream taken down for yeah. a period of time. People forget this. And that was because the policies of these tech companies, in many cases, their definition of misinformation, which by the way, they, there is an arbiter for what counts as fact and what counts as fake news mm. in all of mm. these circumstances. And in those cases, YouTube, for example, they were relying on local and national public health positions, basically. Um, things that turned out to to be a U-turn further down the line and actually those things that were misinformation were no longer misinformation because they had become accepted. And so you're manipulating the public debate if you allow these companies to, to have the power to be the arbiter of what we can discuss publicly. Yeah. And, to, and also even in terms of shadow banning to decide, you know, how what things should be prioritized or which things should be demoted and it's the same as for the discussions that are going on at the moment to do with the ESG ESG scores the environment I think it's environmental social governance mm. um, that that again is a manipulation libertarians free marketeers people like Liz Truss should be talking about this because that is a manipulation of the free market mm. it's it's an intentional manipulation by these huge corporates to manipulate people's behavior and to manipulate and in, in, in they believe they're manipulating people's behavior in in aid of what is good um, and to um, manipulate the public debate yeah. and I think I mean you could say whether they intend to or not but it seems that the purpose is almost transparently to try and change the things that people can express and the things that they can't well on this point that. again in this bill uh, online safety bill there is this utterly insidious new definition of something which is harmful but not illegal yeah now what is that mm -hmm. harmful but not illegal that i would say could cover 50 percent of human discourse mm-hmm and who decides what's harmful yes, as well? Exactly. Can you um, imagine the police getting hold of that? Well, it's not too different from no. a non-crime hate incident, well, isn't it? Exactly. Again, it's, it's the, the same, same as a non-crime hate incident. It's the same thing. It's exactly um, the same thing. So thing. let's. <laughs> I was about to say let's move on to something lighter, but maybe. trying not to be gloomy. Um, <laughs> we're trying desperately not to be gloomy. Yeah, let's move on to something lighter. Let's talk about obesity. Um, oh, lighter! <laughs> ha ha ha! Um, <laughs> boom boom! A heavy um, subject. <laughs> Uh, so The Telegraph this week had a, a, a comment piece in it and it was entitled Only Systemic Change Can Save Britain From an Obesity Epidemic um, and this was something that you, you'd said to me Pete so I'm just going to go and summarise for the sake of those um, watching or listening um, what these sort of the basic stats 
were that this article was basing itself on. So firstly, a number of studies that have come out in the last couple of weeks, 80% um, of the UK population will be overweight by 2060. 80%? 80%. Wow. Um, unless I've taken that number down wrong. I think it's right. No, no, I think uh, It does right. seem no. rather large, pardon the... Yeah, 80%. But, um, costing the economy $142 billion. Um, that Britain is in the grip of an early onset cancer epidemic with rates of colon, kidney and liver cancer going up um, and that in 20 to 40 year olds and that this is likely to be due to the consumption of junk food and that women with type 2 diabetes die on average five years earlier than those without it and, and men four and a half years earlier. Um, and the argument in this article which there's a lot to unpack here. The argument in this article was basically that it's not about individual choice and that the government, like Liz Truss, for example, she's very much against the nanny state. I think that's fantastic. I completely agree with her on that. She wants to get rid of, I think, the sugar tax and things like that. Um, the, arg the argument in this article was against that view and that instead it's not about what individuals do, it's about systemic change in the food, in food production, in, the, in their, she puts it, the food system, so that the food that we have now in compar comparison with the food that we had in the 1950s is just so much worse in terms of how much fat and sugar and all sorts that it's gone in it that it's not, there's not really anything the individual can do, that it's something the government have to force food industries to to make systemic change. But what I thought was so interesting in here is the two things. Firstly, this reminds me of the whole COVID narrative that we're now addicted to talking about how many years earlier people die and the numbers and statistics and so on, um, which is a very, uh, I think, a very inhumane way of looking at health. Um, because people make certain choices and maybe those choices have impacts on mm and on the length of their life or the quality of their life but maybe for them personally when they weigh those things up they'd rather have a cigarette or they'd rather have a burger and live a slightly shorter life perhaps um but also this idea that now that we're we really are sort of um putting at loggerheads individuals and the system everything now is about individuals versus systemic change you know the same with the race ra narrative around racism that it's not or even climate change it's not something the individual can do it has to be something that changes within the system but this is this kind of amorphous utopian thing yes i mean i i would actually take more i take the, the approach you took when we were talking about the problems in leicester mm -hmm. uh, when you were saying i don't quite see how what we can change about this it's not anything the government can do it's not this um, I would take that approach to to this problem. I mean, there is a problem, obviously. You can just tell. Uh, I mean, it, you know, if you've lived long enough, um, fat people, kids or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, in the 1970s when I was a teenager, were kind of quite rare and they would be basically mocked. Now, you know, that is, I had it myself because I was a chub ball, right? <laughs> Hard um, to imagine. And, you know, and I certainly had that, uh, on the wrong end of that but but at the same time um, it was kind of rare but and you say well it's not fair to more people fine um, I do think people have changed I mean there's something one of the articles that you might actually be um, quoting from there I remember that the author of the article I think it was in the Telegraph was sort of blindly said 
Is this because people have changed? Of course not. People, say, well, people have suddenly know, lost willpower in the last 50 years. It's not even just willpower. I think it's what it is, is that um, there's a kind of indulgence. Uh, you know, I can tell a lot of people will probably disagree with this. It seems to affect certain sections of the population more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ferdinand Mount wrote a brilliant book called Mind the Gap a few years ago. And it wasn't specifically about uh, obesity, but it was the same, along the same lines. We're, we're getting to have two classes of people now, a bit like in the um, time machine at HG Wells. And you've got the kind of professional classes who are, you know, fit and slim to the nth degree, which on, on their whole they are. And what you would have called working class people who are more overweight, this, it's more of a social thing. Mm. And this is kind of going to grow and grow. And there's a moral dimension. These people are morally correct mm. and puritanical, and these people are not. And obviously, I, that one hates that kind of comparison to be made. But I do think, you know. But it that, also feeds this nanny state elitism as well. Because I think they think that there's this attitude of well, we're superior to these people and we need to control what they eat because they don't have the ability to do that for themselves. Because I agree. I think that, I mean, I have sort of listening to all this stuff about seed oils and things and started looking at the backs of packets and the amount of total crap that is in most oh, unnecessary sure. yeah, ingredients. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously there's this whole movement towards trying to eat cleanly and that can be very difficult because it's actually hard to find things like bread for example that doesn't have loads of junk in it but at the same time i think it's it's more than just about the you know food system it's also that since the 1950s you've got more women in the workforce mm. and so people not preparing their own food at home um, not having somebody whose job is basically to take care of that aspect of, of a family's life you have more people who are atomized and so it's harder to eat healthily when you're living on your own because it's easier to, to, to shop and to cook for, for more people and to do that affordably and in, in, in a way that is healthy and you also have people who have far more pressures on their working life and in their careers than they did in the 1950s and that that's something that has increased and so now things like Deliveroo have grown up and there's a market for people just being able to push a button and get food delivered to their door and that food is obviously not as healthy as food that they would cook at home so there are all of these other aspects and but I, th- I just it's this this distraction I think from from willpower like you can still make an effort to mm-hmm. eat healthily and well when Lee Anderson did that speech in Parliament and was absolutely slated for it the Conservative mm. MPs from a working-class background stood up and said that he thought that it was good that people that there was a group in his constituency that were doing this basically charitable work helping people who use food banks learning to learn to cook healthy meals on a budget because it's genuinely very difficult mm. to do that it's a skill to be able to do that and he got completely slated for it yes but the funny thing is it's interesting he was slated by the left mostly mm-hmm. right because he was a tory and you know and in fact, they were calling said, him a toff even though he's yes, distinctively he's not they're never going to uh, never going to win but um there are elements of what he says is right i think it is co- a cultural change which is going to be very hard to reverse first of all we do know right that for example grazing I eating mm-hmm. at various different times throughout the day is terrible in terms of putting on weight. I makes you put weight on, mm-hmm. right? So people do that. People walk along, you know, eating in the street, all that. It's become part of life. It's everything. 
Partly, also, I think, because people are so busy, they need, tr need feel like they no, need to fit it in where they can. No, I don't think it's just can. business. No, people just want to eat it then and there. Um, I think people have a culture more, with no delayed gratification. No, they have, but they have more leisure time, I Emma, than in fact ever they had. Uh, and in fact, you know, people were very slim when they actually were working very hard. Uh, take my mum; she worked uh, in a shop, um, and where we were going to school too. But she still, you know, cooked in, at night and things like that. But could That's that be because it's more people are doing more sedentary jobs, more desk jobs? More sedentary, but also people don't eat together. Mm -hmm. Right now, this has been proven as well that you come together at say like six or five, whatever it was your dinner or tea as we used to call it right and you have basically that that structures everything is structureless now so just in the same way that people you know for example uh, have uh, television so the kids watch something in the bedroom the parents are watching something downstairs all of that it's the same with food um, in, children are indulged hugely Right, so it used to be that's what we're having tonight: steak and kidney pudding, peas and potatoes. Eat it or go hungry. Eat it, or you won't. You know, blah blah blah. Now it's oh no, but young Tarquin can't eat this, and <laughs> young Delilah can't eat that, and it doesn't like that. Blah blah blah. So it's all much more kind of, much more indulgent in that way. But th so those are the sorts of things that start to make weight gain, and and also people drive everywhere. We used to walk to school; they drive everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Kids. Are, popped off at school and everything but I think that it, what's interesting about this Emma, is that food and the consumption of food even though we're you know we're, we're getting more and more of these it has never been more central to our mm -hmm. whole culture it is the way in which now food is our main creative activity I would say if you want to call it creative uh, you know cities are judged on how much different cuisine they have mm -hmm. cities are judged they their dynamism is judged on how many cafes and restaurants there are, not on how who's painting what or who's making what music. It's actually how many people mm -hmm. are going to eat out. If you look at the pandemic, the whole thing was, what was it, help out? Eat out to help out. Eat out to help out, shocking phrase. <laughs> um, and then on, on top of that, you sort of, you know, you have, even we were talking about multiculturalism, even food is now used as a massive kind mm -hmm. of like, um, reason to uh, celebrate multiculturalism oh, look at all the different restaurants we have you know if you take that out of the equation then you say well look, come and tell us about multiculturalism but please don't mention food then you find there's a bit of a silence uh, in in the room so food has become sort of central at the very time where basically people are but don't you obese. think though that what you're describing there that this whole argument that we have to change the food system is really, to use a horrible phrase, disempowering. Because actually what you're describing there is a cultural problem. And a cultural mm. problem is in the hands of the people. Yeah. We can make routine changes to our habits and the way that we live our lives. And that's the way that you rescue a culture, by doing the culture. Well, no, but this and, is and it. And if we behave differently, then yes, we might be up against it in terms of the fact that a lot of our food has got all sorts of rubbish in it um, but it's just simply by making those changes that would solve a lot of the problem because there are yes we do have a lot of people in this country who are obese but there are also some people like yourself Peter who are not and it means that it is possible to be you know healthy 
and not obese, eating the food from this system. And so if everybody learned to, to live by better habits and for that to become a culturally enforced thing, rather than Deliveroo being the culturally enforced thing, then... I couldn't agree more. Look, we're, we're, you know, if you live in, I live on, first of all, the other thing, 8 million people live on their own now, I think it is, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, that's a sure way as well of eating irregularly yeah. and badly. And, and I fully see that, but like in my flats, you know, uh, where I was living before in London, um, you'd get delivery coming in the morning, you know, with, with you know, various breakfasts mm -hmm. and all. what's the matter with you? Make, you know, get up and make a breakfast. And one of the worst things I ever did was getting the delivery app on my phone. <laughs> oh, really? Right. But I mean, it, 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 honestly, it is, uh, I think it is something that people can actually do themselves. As you say, it is the cultural aspect. Kids are going to school now, not being able to use knife and fork, mm -hmm. for example. People really do not know what certain vegetables are, much less cook them, right? And this is not a class thing. You know, the culture is not being transmitted in all sorts mm -hmm. of ways, which we endlessly discuss on this program. Mm -hmm. but this is one of them. And this is pretty fundamental. Mm -hmm. Well, this has really been a council of despair. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please, despite the despair, do tune in next time. Like, subscribe, tell us what you think of the topics and the show in general, and we will see you next time on Newspeak. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.